Hi, this is Logos Legacy. Today, I'm interviewing Mark Anthony Lord, a new thought minister, speaker, author, coach, and channel for the Holy Spirit. Mark is committed to helping people heal and con connect to their inner divinity. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I am good, Nicholas. Thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, well, I'm going to get straight to it, actually. So, while doing is an illusion, how do we do forgiveness? Because, like, often we might try to forgive people, but it seems like nothing changes. Uh, yeah, let's dive right into that. That's a fantastic question. Um, I felt a very dramatic shift in my understanding, my practice, and my results from forgiveness when I did realize that I am not the doer, nor was I ever appointed to be the doer of forgiveness. And that's one of the biggest uh, frustrations I see for people you know, it's like, I have to forgive, I have to let go, I have to, and even other people to them are like, you know, haven't you let that go yet? Aren't you done with that story yet? And it's just a lot of pain being recycled and tossed around because the truth is, and in my experience, the truth is, and as A Course in Miracles teaches, it is the Holy Spirit that does the forgiveness work. It is the Holy Spirit that has the ability and the viewpoint where it can unravel the pain body, the story, uh, all that is wrapped in that thing that is not letting us go. It is the Holy Spirit that has the um, mountaintop view that can unravel it so that everyone in the forgiveness process is blessed. So when I learned that my part in the forgiveness equation is to simply ask, well, it's two parts for me. One, ask, that forgiveness be done. And that's a very simple thing to do. I ask that forgiveness set me free. And if there's someone else involved, I ask that forgiveness set me and Suzanne free. I can state that, and that represents an asking which activates the universe and opens up kind of a portal, if you will, that welcomes the healing power to begin to do its work. And then my second part which is more challenging for people in the forgiveness equation that I practice is to refrain, refrain from talking about the person, refrain from talking about the situation and uh, to the best of my ability, refrain from thinking about it, which is hard, of course, because thoughts move quickly, but to, ca to catch it and to really pay attention. The reason this is important is because to me, it's like how a, a, a scrape or a, um, what am I trying? A cut heals on the body. The best way for the cut to heal is to do your part in closing it and covering it and putting some medicine on it and then leave it alone. If you pick at it, if you keep opening it up, if you keep looking, you're going to slow down and impede the healing process. This is largely why most people don't experience the full results of forgiveness because they keep uh, picking at the scab or, or re-injuring themselves by repeating it and getting stuck in the pain body of it. And uh, so I ask, I refrain from telling the story. And when the thought or the upset comes back to me, that is the invitation to ask that forgiveness be done again. It's not a one-time deal 
forgiveness is to be repeated over and over and over as a practice until we experience the relief, which is really what we're seeking, right? We're, we're seeking relief from, from when we think about a person, place, or thing, feeling that upset, that, that loss of peace of mind. Uh, that to me is the result of forgiveness. When the person can walk through my mind and I have nothing but well wishes for them, my heartbeat doesn't increase. I don't feel that, that energy stir in me. Uh, that's when I can go, forgiveness feels like it has done its wonderful job. So uh, to me, that's how it's done. And again, I don't know how it's done any more than I know how a, a scar on my arm is, is miraculously healed when I do my part and then leave it alone. To me, it's the same thing. Makes a lot of sense to me. But I'm wondering, you might, one might not know what to ask forgiveness for, but you might be able to know if you look in yourself with inner work, you might know yourself better to be in a position to ask for forgiveness. Or can you just ask for forgiveness without knowing? I think that's such a good question. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, you know, how I know that forgiveness is, and I've been doing this for years. So I admit like with the more you do anything, your practice is going to become more fine tuned. So for me, I turn to forgiveness for any upset, be it like a little pebble in my shoe or be it feeling like a gigantic grand Canyon of separation and everything in between, anything that feels a judgment, a, an attack thought upon myself or another, an interaction that, that is leaving me feeling unsettled um, and upset. Any form of upset today I bring to the practice of forgiveness. Most people begin with the grosser, dramatic kind of problems that, um, you know, the, a cheating, someone, someone, you know, had an affair on someone or someone left someone, or, you know, it, it tends to be the large, there's some kind of abuse or, um, you know, confrontation of some kind. We tend to focus on those big ticket items, but the reality is the big ticket items are just exaggerated expressions of the smaller disconnections and the false beliefs that live inside of us. So, Starting at the big rocks, if you will, is a great place to start. And then those begin to dissolve. And then we go to more subtler and subtler places until we reach the point where we go, oh, the one thing that I'm being called to forgive is the belief that I'm separate from spirit and anything that's made out of that belief. That's really the core belief and the guilt that is driving me in believing that I'm separate that's at the core. That, that's really so anyone can dive right into the core and just go, I ask that forgiveness truly set me free from all sense of guilt and any belief that I'm separate from God. To me, that's the, the right in the center of it all. And you can dive right in there. And then as that is beginning to churn and unravel, all of the things and experiences that ripple out of it, those will begin to be transformed. Most people kind of work their way into the core. So does 
the creator, um, I suppose understood in a pantheistic sense, but does the creator help us with what comes up in us emotionally or in our, or externally that catalyzes emotion? Is that like bringing up what needs to be healed and forgiveness next? Um, you know, the way I think about it is the creator as more of a principle of love that within that, inherent in that, is vitality, life, uh, joy, peace. That's the natural state of the creator. And since I am formed out of the creator, I am all of that too. And in fact, in reality, capital R, I'm only that. So that natural state of love and wholeness, it's not like it goes seeking problems to fix. It remains more like for me, it remains central. And as I align with that in my being, then everything unlike it gets activated to be transformed. You know, The Course in Miracles says, or Marianne Williamson said it, I'm getting mixed up on this one, but um, I think it is the course that says, seek not for love for that is way too big, way too big to find. Instead, seek for that which is blocking love's expression and offer that up to be healed. So the me that feels the suffering, the me that has the connection or the desire to walk in the presence of God more fully, that part, if you will, is the part that also is going, what's in my way? What along the path is in my way to living in the peace? And then that's when these, I believe that question, what's in the way, that question alone will draw unto itself that which is to be released or transformed, forgiven. Well, I'm not sure what to say to it. I, I like the answer. Well, it's like a higher vibration, right? the higher vibration draw that's how i think like it draws up to itself that which is to be released or transformed yeah and it just makes it easier because you're not trying to get to this really super high standard that might seem intimidating or we might not even believe subconsciously that you're able to get there whereas if you're just like okay these are the blocks please heal these this and realign me then that yeah that seems a lot easier I think oh. so. And, and I can also, I believe life is in its kindness, if you will. I don't know, but there is something that's showing me my, my emotional system, right? It's showing me when I'm out of alignment, when I'm thinking about someone and I'm feeling upset or angry or sad or whatever, it is my emotional uh, part that is, that is saying to me, hey, this thought, this idea, this story isn't in alignment with your divinity. And I'm going to show you that by making you feel <laughs> not good in this moment. So it's not like, it's not that you're not meant to feel those emotions, quite the opposite. You're meant to feel those emotions every time you've missed the mark. I think it's a great way to say it, it in service, in service to it's like a guiding system in service to returning to love and peace. Now, what happens to most people is if they don't see it that way, 
or they're afraid of emotions, or we had an upbringing where anger or any kind of a negative emotion was used against us to control us, or we became afraid of it. You know, a lot of people experience anger in their childhood as something that caused harm. It caused someone to get spanked or it caused someone to get belittled and yelled at. It caused a lot of pain. So the mind goes, ooh, anger, not good. Anger equals someone gets hurt. That's like getting halfway into it and then getting stuck <laughs> and just staying right there in the center of it, not understanding that anger can actually be a powerful force like that will move you through, but you've got to know how to relate to it, how to let it move through you so that it can be a part of your return to peace. We weren't, I know I wasn't taught that as a kid. I wasn't taught that in the education system. I wasn't taught that anywhere in my childhood. I too, like many, was like, oh, mommy or dad are angry and that's scary. Don't be that, right? But yeah, repressed anger is worse in a way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it comes out sideways and not, you know, it's like, ah, we don't, it, because it, it becomes more dangerous, if you will, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, with um, Aaron Abke, You've been, I recall that you've talked about there's a feminine way of doing healing and a masculine way of doing healing. If I'm correct, the feminine way of doing it is forgiveness. And the masculine way of doing it is understanding the mind in a more cognitive way, mm -hmm. I suppose. So how do we combine them together simultaneously? I think it's a kind of a art form more than a science you know it's like learning within yourself when which one is more of service and really paying attention because uh and you know it's just it, it, my quick answer is there's not one perfect one size fits all answer for everybody one person may be geared more towards the feminine processing so forgiveness feels like their natural state, the way to do it. Another person is naturally wired so that they're thinking and their contemplation and their dissecting of the experience, very Byron Katie inquiry kind of thing. That's a masculine way to approach it. They're both effective. Many people wanna learn how to toggle back and forth when, when to use one, when to use the other. Some people can stay you know, more on the line of the masculine inquiry until they find that heart space. They're both leading to the same place, you know? Um, so it's just kind of practicing them and seeing the one that works the best for you. I've had so many students over the years, hundreds and hundreds of students, and I've taught forgiveness and I've taught Byron Katie and inquiry and ways to question and, and move through argumentative uh, thought patterns that arguing against the, the lie kind of a thing. Um, and I've seen some people just flourish with the contemplation and the questioning. And I've seen other people just think that that's ridiculous, but you turn them towards forgiveness and their whole heart flowers open and they just have this, ah, oh, now I understand. So the same way that I think we all incarnate, most people, I would say the majority, uh, I'm pausing because I'm hearing maybe not. Anyway, a collective of people 
incarnate as male, as female, and we're all of both, but they, they choose uh, to lean and bend towards one more than the other in this particular incarnation for whatever purpose that serves. I think that that could be the same way to think about this question that some people are really more, you know, natural and one over the other, but we always want to practice both to see how we can grow differently, right? If I just stayed in the forgiveness lane, I won't lose. I won't lose at all. But what might I gain if I add to it the practice of inquiry and, and questioning? Um, yeah, I really like the answer, partly because you went into my next question. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it actually... Um, I looked on your website and you say that you're, um, what is it, um, non-binary, or is it, I think, or something like that. Okay. And um, my understanding of that is that I'm wondering, so this, everyone's got masculine energy and feminine energy in us, right? We might choose to lean one more in one direction than another in our incarnation, but in our humanities move towards non-duality and non-separation are we moving is there a shift towards um not actually being firmly on one or the other is it getting more is non-binary sort of thing is that getting more common as just the shift well i would hope so I would hope so because I can only speak to the the gifts of that being either gender fluid or non-binary is another way of gender fluid is another way to say it. Um, but to experience the to me it feels holistic in me to have access, which feels very balanced in me uh, in in terms of my ability to feel the feminine nature and the masculine nature so much so that I don't identify as one over the other. You know, someone else may go, oh no, my gender is male, definitely. Like they're just boom. And that's like what it is. And that really is their experience. Um, I do believe one aspect of spiritual awakening can represent where inside of us, we begin to, if we're, if we're very masculine driven, we begin to open up to that feminine nature, that softer side that allows us to cry and to hug people and to be released from the constructs that says male energy only acts this way and it's only acceptable in this little tiny lane that begins to open up for the person as they awaken to their spirit. And of course, simultaneously, the woman who's very strongly feminine, excuse me, the person who is strongly feminine driven may be called to open up to more of a masculine uh, drive within them for purposes of balance and who knows what else. So is um, non-binary, even non-binary, a, a sort of label that just points to just not being on one position of a binary? Uh, I mean, yeah, for sure. But for me, I like it because giving it a name makes me go, oh, that makes sense. Like, it's sort of like sometimes just giving something a name gives it an understanding. Yeah. But, but as you're asking, can it also somehow put confinement around it that limits what it really means, right? Yeah. Like, how do we, 
in a more broad way, like how do we deal with conceptualizations or just um, we can understand things by naming them, right? But we could also be led astray into identification. So how do we navigate that? Exactly. Exactly. And that is where the language of this dimension is, you know, it serves us and it it is the very thing that causes the belief in division and duality. <laughs> it's like the very tool we're using is also the tool that will cause us to not be able to fully awaken dependent upon that alone. What about light language though? What? What about light language? I, I mean, I think for that, you're talking about telepathy. You're talking about the ability to connect and feel where entire concepts are exchanged without words. Um, that, that definitely is a sharing that occurs as we evolve spiritually, as we become lighter and lighter beings ourselves. And what are the light energies? The light energies are peace and love and compassion, wisdom. These are the qualities of being that have a much lighter vibration. The more we identify and allow ourselves to become that, the more your, your ability to have telepathy, to feel, to sense, and to not use words becomes uh, possible. Right. So it's just a broadening out of how we relate to ourselves and each other. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I do think, you know, I don't have the full answer on this, but I, I you know, the law of one talks about the densities, third density, fourth density, and that we're on the movement from third to fourth. I believe a soul, an individual soul, when they reach lighter and lighter and lighter identification, there does reach a point where coming to this incarnation, putting on the body, moving into this denser realm is no longer of service to their evolution. And so they, you know, remain in the fourth density or the fifth or the sixth or whatever. I don't know where it all goes, but I do, I do know that, that there is an evolution of the soul whose goal is to release us from coming back to this particular density. Right. Yeah, I'd largely agree with that. Um, what does Christ mean to you? Uh, well, as a kid, it meant Jesus. And I didn't, and it meant something other and special and something that this one guy gets to be. <laughs> it, it, I want to give you that reference first. It represented the chosen son. It re represented the one that I'm not. So I had a very negative experience of that as a child. It didn't bring me personally comfort. It may have others, but in my childhood, it didn't. So because I early on had a negative reaction to it, I rejected it and I pushed it away and I didn't pay attention to it. As I began studying spirituality and having spiritual awakenings, uh, starting in my twenties, um, that started to shift because I started to have personal experiences. Today, I have a completely different, <laughs> I couldn't be more opposite of what I thought it was. To me, Christ is one uh, shared idea in the mind and that idea is our wholeness, our beauty, our perfection, the, the, the glory of God that we share. Um, it, is, uh, it is 
It is our divinity. It is the representation of our collective knowing that who and what we are can never be hurt, harmed, or injured. We really never will die. We really never will be all the suffering and all the limitations that we place upon us. We really always will only be the beautiful grace and love that we're created to be. Christ represents that certainty that is within all of us. And so the many people walk the path of, of awakening to that Christ, to that knowing, to that vibration of being um, that we share. And I believe, I do believe that Jesus is an example of one who walked fully in the Christ nature. Uh, he was in the world, but not of the world. He was in the world as deep as it would go. He'd walk through the, you know, the, 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 where leprosy was pervasive. He'd walk through, you know, death and destruction of all kinds. And he could walk in the Christ light, the knowing who and what he is and being able to discern that all of this destruction is not true. What is back of it is the life force of love. And that's what he was able to pierce um, and to touch and to bring forward. What that ability to do that to me is what I would name the Christ. Is it linked to what Buddhahood is? Say that again? Is it linked to what Buddhahood is? I definitely think so. They're different access points for sure. They're different paths, but I think I, for me, they would they point to the same place. What about uh, Krishna? I don't know enough about Krishna, I'm afraid. <laughs> Fair enough. Start, I'm, I'm kind of curious about the intersection there because um, Aaron Ebke talks about, he, he knows, maybe he's the person to ask because he knows more about the Vedic uh, right. traditions, I suppose. Right. He, he was very passionate about studying those and I've not studied those to the, you know, I, I know very superficially, probably mostly from hanging out with Aaron. <laughs> it's how I've learned, learned that, but I've not dove as deeply into those paths as, as he has. So what's the Trinity? Ah, uh, you know, these things like the Trinity, and I want to really listen because I want to allow, if I may, the Holy Spirit to answer that one. If you don't mind me, close my eyes for a moment. The Trinity is something that can be experienced on all levels of existence. So the Trinity, to someone who's very... Um, unawakened, if you will, for lack of a better word, can walk into a traditional church and they will think of the Trinity as God and as Jesus and as the Holy Spirit. And there will be a way that they relate to that as external. They will bow before that as someone going to a king. And so the Trinity will show up for them in service to where they are. The Trinity is it's inherent in math. It's inherent in all equations of life. The Trinity is a sacred geometry. The Trinity really is the father, the sonship, 
and the Holy Spirit, which lives inside of that. It shows up everywhere in different um, different vantage points, different ways, you know, mind, body, spirit. Uh, you know, you can use so many examples in the physical world and in the non-physical world that represent this phenomenal experience of three in one. So to name it as it is just this, in its absolute state, it is three in one. The expression of the Trinity comes through at all places and all levels, and it will appear in the base and it will appear in the highest and holiest thoughts, and it will appear everywhere in between. So it is a principle. It is something that unites all of us. It is something inherent that, that the more you grow and understand, it grows with you and offers you deeper understanding of its power, of its oneness, of its purity, of its uh, safety, and of its um, eternal nature. All of that is inherent in the Trinity. Wow. There's, there's a lot of depth to that as well. I feel like there's layers to what was said there. Yeah. If you know what you said. <laughs> Not totally. <laughs> I, I don't know totally what I said, but I felt that like, it's really interesting. I, I feel like it's like just below my rib cage. I swear to God, it feels like a gut punch <laughs> where the Holy Spirit goes, uh, and I go, okay, okay, I'll let you answer that. So yeah, I, I knew there were layers to it, but I couldn't repeat what came through. I got this sort of, I did a video the other day, actually, um, about this idea I received maybe about the, um, this three that comes up throughout reality on every level and how the ego and the drama triangle of like someone being like the perpetrator or the victim or the rescuer being like just an ex example of that right. as well. Just, just a, an egoic version of it. Right. And exactly. Then, it's it's yeah. the holiness flipped over into the ego's game. And I feel like it might be connected maybe to there's the tree of life and the tree of good and evil in, um, the uh, Hebrew uh, mysticism, I suppose. But this is my tendency to get all theoretical. <laughs> and I know that you're into pra the practical spirituality. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> and something, there's another thing very interesting is this idea that I, I, what came to mind was fractal reality. If it's a universal principle of three on every level that guides us the more we understand it to greater understanding than that, it seems like it's a really core feature of divinity and it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I didn't realize that until this question <laughs> and what did flow through me. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's more, it, it really is a, 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 a symbol, if you will, or something that is found everywhere present. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, I keep looking down at my notes and I feel like, I think I won't look at them <laughs> because I'm wondering, you know, a little flow. So, uh, yeah, so what, what sort of, um, what are the main practical tips other than forgiveness that you'd give just to navigate life and heal? 
you know, I was so blessed, although I would not have ever, ever had the, the, that vantage point upon uh, in my early and the mid twenties when I was really such a destructive addict. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I was killing myself. That's what I was doing. I didn't know that, but that's really what was underneath that. And to bottom out so quickly within a couple of years and to have found the 12 step program and then to crawl and fall down and crawl and fall down and then begin to walk and fall down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for me, this journey of, of almost dying and then returning to coming alive, but not coming alive through the old way, because it was like the awakening experience I had in bottoming out from addiction. It's almost like it said, you will rebirth here and you will become who you're meant to be. And it's almost like something wouldn't allow me to go too far off track. So the gift that came out of that is know thyself, know thyself, know thyself, know, know how your mind works, accept and be interested in, in your jealousies, in your um, manipulations, in the ways that you lie. The more that you get to know yourself, the more you're able to, to notice observe and ask for different ways to of a more mature and more life-giving ways to respond and participate. That has really been my journey. And coming from a guy who lied all the time and, you know, I'd steal, I'd do anything, you know, for the drugs uh, to come from that to really committed to practicing walking in integrity and knowing myself. It's just a, it's just a path that was non-negotiable for me until it became, it's like the pain pushed me until finally vision pulled me. That's a quote from my teacher, Michael Beckwith, pain pushes until vision pulls. So for a lot of us, we're still relying on the pain. We don't think about changing or growing or looking within until it gets painful enough. And that's just how it is until it's not <laughs> like, it's just how it is, you know? So mm. along that journey, I have been so blessed to learn spiritual practices. Like we talked about forgiveness. I have a prayer life that is nothing like what I was taught as a kid. I learned a form of affirmative prayer of tapping in and knowing the truth about God and myself and the other, and then speaking words from that place. I was taught that technique from Michael Beckwith at Agape in Los Angeles. And I have multiple prayer partners every week. I pray with five different people um, on a regular basis where we bring ourselves to the prayer together. So, so prayer, forgiveness, contemplation, meditation, these, pr these practices are not foreign anymore. It's just finding the willingness to give your time and attention to them. You know, it's like the ego in all of us at certain times will really keep us busy and keep us deflecting away from doing what would really 
support our spiritual awakening because it knows it's threatened, if you will, if I can speak about it, like it's a separate entity for a moment and it's yeah. got a hold of me. And as I go, oh, I'm going to go meditate and learn about oneness. It goes, well, I'll go with you. But as soon as I get in trouble, I'm going to pull you out. And, you know, so there's this dance that happens for a while where people try to uh, ride two horses as a gospel of Thomas talks about gospel of Thomas says you can't ride two horses. Uh, Bible says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve awakening and the ego voice, but we spend time trying to do that. Don't we? We live in the back and forth <laughs> for a while and that becomes, but that's generating more energy for the point where we get that next pew, and then we get a next breakthrough. So we're looking for those breakthroughs and we're doing these practices and we're paying attention and we're loving ourselves more, man. I do not judge myself at all. Let me check that. Even if I judge myself, I check that. But what I meant by that was I can catch myself like really being manipulative or in a bad place. And my partner will say to me, why did you do that? And I'll pause and I'll go, you know, I just wanted to be mean. That's why I did it. I just wanted to be mean in that moment. I acknowledge that and, and I apologize. I could never have said that previously. I'd be like, what do you mean? Why did I do that? Why did you do that? You know, and then I'm <laughs> yeah. a drama, I'm a drama oh, triangle. God, yes. no. But staying off the drama triangle <laughs> is being honest. So I can, I practice being brutally honest. If you ask me why I said something or what's occurring, I will be like, oh, you know what? I felt afraid. I felt like I was being excluded here. So something just stirred. Like I'll really go to the core typically. And when people look at me, they're like, oh my God, I didn't ask for that much information, <laughs> but that's what I do. And that's, that's a long answer to your question, but um, it's just so important that we, if we don't know ourselves, we will not understand the ways that we manipulate and control and micromanage and all the things that all of us do in our own ways. We've got to see that design so that we can begin offering it up. I have this feeling that the ego is actually there to serve us in a way. And that it's like a dark dance partner. And the more we understand them, the less they, you know, put their foot out when we trip up over it and, <laughs> and the more harmonious it gets. Yes. Yeah, some people look at it that way, for sure. For sure. Um, I look at it as the lie. It is the lie that I'm separate from God. It's very simple for me. And it is the thing that keeps me believing I'm a separate identity that I am the body. That's the purpose of the ego solely. Now, when we invite, when we move to, to turning our attention towards spiritual awakening, when we pivot turn away from the destructive behaviors of the ego, then the Holy Spirit does use everything in service to returning to love. So then it does become the catalyst. But prior to awakening, it, well, I guess it is the catalyst even there. It's just going to keep trying to destroy us until we finally, you know, pivot turn towards the truth. Probably repeating what you just said. <laughs> yeah, but I think that you added some nuance to it that is helpful. Because in one sense, it's not true because the ego is a lie 
right? But we've got this resistance in us as we're moving towards. Well, oh yeah, even that, even that's a lie, isn't it? This whole moving towards as, as we're taking the blocks away or asking the blocks to be taken away. I'm overcomplicating it. <laughs> as we're, I don't know, like we've got this. We keep on correcting course when we're when the the energy the tension like static is like released suddenly that's been building up from all the resistance like a before an earthquake there's increasing tension and then they it just slides right um so in a sense You said the Holy Spirit uses that tension for course correction, I suppose you could say. So it's it's true and it's false, yeah. which is non-duality. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. I think I think you and I have found the best way to talk about the ego that I've had yet. <laughs> so that's awesome. I have been wondering about this idea that, well, I think the way Aaron Abke talked about it was this idea of the, the lion that has a, there's this primal beast, but is also, can also be a, a really loyal, faithful and beneficial servant. And I, what do you think of this? What if, there's the conscious and the unconscious and the unconscious kind of either take a form that's loyal to creation or oppositional to it. Yes. And I think I would add to that saying, if we think about the unconscious, like the basement of a house and it's found, you know, we'll even say it's foundation, but the basement and it's filled with old boxes and old memories and broken toys. And it's totally filled with, with, um, you know, dirt and dust and mold and just nothing, you know, really fun or positive. If it's filled with all of that, nothing new can be created there in the foundation because it's filled with old. And most people, they walk around with a subconscious mind filled with old stories and false beliefs and fears. All of those things represent all that stuff I just described in the basement. So although it could be a, a, a place for creation, it can be a place to make anything you want. It, it can be the most glorious place to, to you know, do art and to do whatever, whatever makes you happy. It has to be cleared out so that it can be used for that. And, and, and maybe like it, then it becomes halfway cleared out. And so we go down there and we can start to make things and we can start to have an experience of life giving uh, ideas that come to form. But, if, but then there's that thing hanging out in the basement corner of the false belief that's still in there that will glob on when we're not expecting it, you know? So that's what a lot of people experience. They, they, they get into creating and using that subconscious world, which is infinite 
and its possibilities without spending enough time purifying it and having it cleaned out for better creation. Does that make sense to you? It does. I have another question though. Yeah. Because that's about our relationship with the internal or the, the, the subconscious, but externally, so to speak, the one, but um, in the external holographic illusion or whatever you call that, can you get like events come up or people acting in such a way, maybe unknowingly guided by the creator to sort of, in a way, bring up the emotions or negative beliefs in you. Ask that again, I'm sorry, just-, uh, just I wasn't sure how to phrase it. So, so do, do people actually act, or do people or events um, occur or interact with us to um, catalyze the internal beliefs or to, show us the internal beliefs that we're not seeing ultimately i do think that is the design and if i may reference again do you mind if i'm referencing the course a lot i assume you know go ahead go. <laughs> um but it talks about it uses the the analogy of uh well i won't i won't tell that story i'll simply say that the course teaches that the moment that the mad idea the thought of i I wonder what it's like to create separate from God. Once that thought even was had, which is impossible, the very moment the thought of separation occurred, the solution occurred. And the solution is what's called the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, if there's an apparent first idea that's a problem and the solution immediately appears, there's no problem. And therefore, inherent in that idea, every variation on the theme of separation that has been happening throughout millennia, throughout all time, throughout all, all variations on that one mad idea simultaneously immediately contain the solution. Every problem immediately has a solution. That's not new. That's not a new idea. So my point is that lighthouse, that solution, that Holy Spirit, if you will, that is what is always ultimately going to win and bring us all if you will, home. So my answer to that is yes, I really believe everything is pointing us back to that experience. But I did have a profound uh, experience when I was doing ayahuasca in Costa Rica. And, and one particular journey that I was on, uh, I'll cut to the point, which is that I was shown a world with billions of people just walking patterns just patterns. They weren't even alive. Their soul was like almost like up on a shelf. <laughs> like it wasn't even, they weren't even living from their soul. They didn't know they had a soul the way I was shown it. I was just shown patterns and patterns and beliefs and just like robots bumping into each other. And then, and then boom, one person will access their soul and they'll begin to awaken. Then the next person then the next person has sort of shown that process, but currently the state of humanity is still largely inside the sleepwalking state where there are just patterns bumping into patterns. Um, and there's nothing that anyone can do about that until they, till something sparks and they begin to wake up to 
to their divinity. Um, and I guess I'm pointing that out to say, ultimately everyone will find their way there, but the more of us that choose awakening, support our brothers and sisters and not having to walk as empty robots for lifetimes. As the more and more awakened, the more and more people will begin to get turned on. Right. Um, something that's kind of related to what I was saying, or what we're talking about, kind of different. Um, and I don't think it's just from this book I read, which is The Impersonal Self. I haven't actually finished it, but The Impersonal Self. Um, I think Aaron said something as well about what I'm talking about is this, how in there's this process almost of waking up or where we get persecuted at some point and that's actually for our benefit. Well, I don't think we get persecuted. I think the, the separate self. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, we experience the illusion of that. Yeah, that's what dies. The separate self dies, and it doesn't often die quietly. Yeah, sometimes I have this almost existential fear. I mean, I, well, it, the question is, it's like, so the true you is the I am, right? Which is one with... Christ, I think, I think maybe that, I don't know if we're the one, um, I don't know if we're the Holy Spirit, or, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I feel like the personality is like clothing, and we're with one with other, we're one with other I am's, which are the same I am that are wearing clothing as well, like different cells of a organism or something. And I get that, um, but then even though there's this recognition of, yeah, I'm that, that's what I really am, and this personality isn't really me, on some level, I, maybe my ego or something, it's like, yeah, but I am that cell, right? Which means I'm... I may be one with it all, but I'm still something in particular, which is that cell. And it's like, it's like trying to keep identity while losing it or something. But I'm like, do I have to just, I don't know, like, what do I have to lose? That's, that's a double-ended question. Yeah, it's like, I'm not even sure how to articulate it, but it feels like, what if something gets lost? I, I know it doesn't really, but it's like... Yeah. I I actually get where you're going. I understand where you're going. And I remember a long time ago beginning to contemplate about this. And I was like, okay, well, if we're all one and we're all one in God, what if I end up being a cell in the big toe of God? Like that was sort of the ego way of going like, well, do I get to remain existent, but still in the one? And, and if I am existent, do I have a lower role than another? Like it was sort of weird. For me oh, to begin to contemplate you seem like you're having a good time so it can't be that bad <laughs> well but here's the deal as we back up to one how can this be said you are the only one how could the only one lose itself 
Like when you wake up in the morning, you don't feel like you've lost something because you remember a dream that you had and you were very active in the dream. You were very active. You were running through the grocery store. You were, you were doing all these kind of crazy things, flying and doing things in your dreams. And you were very, your thought world was very present there. And when you woke up, you didn't miss who you were or what you thought you were in that dream. You can take that same idea and like the Russian dolls where you open it up and there's a smaller one. You open it up, there's a smaller one. You open it up, there's a smaller one. This continues to dissolve and dissolve and dissolve and dissolve until there is the one and the one you go, oh, I am. And there is no otherness, but you also lost nothing because it's you. It wraps itself around it. <laughs> anyway, I hope that was helpful because I, I get what you're saying and I don't know if so, that's the way to answer it. Are you saying we're just all that is in period? Uh, and period. then we feel like period. You I, I, yeah. <laughs> you can't I can't conceive of it. I'm speaking to it. And yet I mean it's like, yeah, we can't conceive of it from this particular vantage. Point. So this this awakening to being I am the way that you're awakened to it or beyond, you know, happens, right? But it's not like suddenly you're at like seventh density or the next octave or the highest level of the high, whatever that is, even even, even if that exists, like, and then like, there's no, it's the end, right? Like there's always more levels of awareness, right? So maybe the, the constant journey means that, I don't know, well, maybe what I'm afraid of most is just, a sudden jolt and it's like stays the same forever or something right right i was hanging out with byron katie years ago you know byron katie uh no but you mentioned okay. By byron katie it's a woman uh she's phenomenal she was you know in a treatment center for i think drug food alcohol addiction she was a mom she lived in California had, uh, I mean, just like her life was, she was a real estate agent and she absolutely crumbled and went, landed a treatment center. And one morning she woke up and she had a full, complete awakening, like identity disappeared. She, and from that day, 1985, I just spoke with her back in March and I asked her, I said, since your awakening, have you remained in pure bliss and oneness, never shifting? And she said, I've never shifted. And I said, tell me about that. Is that boring? Is that, what is that like to remain the same? And she said, to remain the same gives you access to everything in its beauty and its joy and its perfection. And the last thing you are is bored. And the last thing you do is focus on needing or wanting anything. Like I mean, she tried as best she could to explain the pure bliss and the fulfillment that is there. It's the opposite. It's the ego that says, I'm going to lose something. Will I be bored? What's going to happen? What part disappears? What part stays? You know, all of that is the insanity of the ego. Talk to someone who is there in the full fullness, non-negotiable absoluteness of it. And it's described as just peace and joy that can't be described. So what's the next step after that? I mean, I know what the law of one would suggest that then 
maybe you could say that's fourth density, so fifth density or something. I will ask, I will ask, because I feel an answer coming. There is a, a quote from the Bible, something like, uh, and we're using Mark's mind, so he's not good at remembering quotes, um, but, but um, in God's house, there are many mansions. And what that really means is there are planes of existence and play and creation and evolution and enjoyment. There is life eternal that the human mind that is based in space and time cannot comprehend. But what is next? When you are done, many people, many souls will choose to come back to this third density, this, this particular uh, experience to be of service. They will choose to forget and to come back as a light being, bringing light to support others on their journey. That is a very valid what's next. And many are choosing it. And yet many souls are choosing what's next going, oh, no, 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 not that density. I, mean, I don't want to be that dense anymore. I want to be in the light. So they begin exploring the heart energy. They begin to evolve by the energy of love and communion. And there are ways for souls to make love, if you will, at other levels of being that are orgasmic in spirit that 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 take nothing away from the physical they have nothing like the physical sensation of a body and a body coming together to make love and to experience the the ecstasy that is possible inside of that is like is it's so it's like an overlay it's such a small experience of the levels of connection it's like a a dense example so what's next is more joy love making like you can't comprehend communion and connection with with light and with brothers and sisters that is absolutely glorious um the ability to create new worlds to literally start the game over <laughs> and to create a new world you have absolute unlimited uh possibility and freedom of choice, which is what you were given in the beginning. You were given not a part of what God is. You were given all that God is and all that God can do. And all that God can do is make worlds upon worlds upon worlds. That's what you can do. So imagine just one beautiful source extending and multiplying and growing and creating. If that is what's possible. There's, there's no limit to that. And you will love it. You will absolutely love it. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I'll hang out with you more. You're causing spirit to speak in ways that I've not felt before. <laughs> so I really appreciate you. I was tempted to say careful, that will go to my head, but I feel like that's a silly thing to say, really. Uh, so I think I, um, yeah, I think I understand now, or at least a bit better, because inevitably, I guess, my, my ego or what I'm experiencing as an ego personality is um, 
uh, there's there's some resistance, right? And that's inevitable. And it's actually, I suppose it's a good thing. It's just part of the energetic process or something. So, uh, but I, I also sense that a lot of people will, I don't know if everyone gets to that point, but I feel like a lot of people just get to the point where they're, they're asking these questions and that's something they're grappling on it with. And I feel like the answers you gave, well, I don't know, you gave me the answers that um, we experienced um, really are helpful, I feel. Good. It's great. Um, and it would be fair to say that a lot of people get too outside entertaining existential curiosities that don't ultimately serve them when the invitation to experience love where they are, as they are in this situation they're in, that's really the calling, but that feels confusing or that feels like not quite enough or that feels like limited. So they wanna go out and in sort of oh. big, big ways and, and, and it's fine, but people don't realize when they're actually not doing any good by doing that, if you will. Yeah, I, I have a sense that there's this belief in not being good enough in imitation. And so you expand out there because within here, it's like, oh, oh it's so small, right? Yeah. And that, I think, I know that's what I've done a lot. Um, so if I know more and more things, then I, I'll be worthy but there's always more to know, right? And there's always more you don't know. And there's always just this present moment which offers you everything. And that's the most confusing one. <laughs> I think maybe, you know, some people inherit like inquisitive minds. Um, and a tendency to do that so that to, to intellectually explore more and more and more so that that is something to let go of well, or at least the attachment not, to it not yeah because it is your gift it, it is a gift that you're enjoying you just want to pay attention to when it becomes a crux or a curse if you will my gift is vision i am a visionary i didn't know that that is what I just have this gift. I was a choreographer before I ever became, I was a dancer and choreographer before I ever became a minister and spiritual teacher. And I literally, you play a song and boom, I see it on the stage. I see all of it and I can just make it happen. That is just an ability of the mind. And then I created this uh, spiritual community in Chicago and I saw the whole thing immediately and I could just make it happen according to the way that I held the vision. What a wonderful gift that I have. The, the, the thing I have to pay attention to on the other side of that gift, if you will, is when am I just keep looking to the future to escape versus being here and now and just using the ability to be a visionary when it's of service. My, my Achilles heel is I always want it to be how I see it. I always want the vision. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the process. I don't want that stuff. I don't like it. 
you know? Um, and so I'm pointing to that to say your gift of inquiry and curiosity, it is of service. And it is something that I think you add to the collective in a, in a beautiful way. There's a saying, curiosity killed the cat and I'm a Leo. Do what? Say that again? I'm a Leo, right? And they say curiosity killed the cat. Exactly. <laughs> so you don't need to get too far. But I just idea of also like someone's playing a flute and they um they're the instrument. Wait, God is playing the flute, you're the flute, and the music is the service, right? But what if the flute start is start saying, no, 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 I want to direct the music. Don't tell me what to do. I, I'll do it myself. I'll, I'll do my own music. And then it's sort of it's not the same when the well, flute that's tries the birth, to do it. That's the birth of the ego right there. You just gave a perfect analogy. The flute wanting to make the music and be in charge of the thing. That's what happened, if you will. Hey, when's your birthday, though? 21st of August, 1989. Okay. I'm a Leo also. That's why I asked. Oh. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you can always get, like, identified with it, but... Yeah, I suppose I'm on the cusp of Virgo or something. Um, <laughs> I do feel like there's something to the astrological. There's an aspect. Um, again, you can get too caught up on exploration, but there, there is an, a, a reality or dimensional aspect to it in some way, I'm sure. But um, when we're born, it's not a coincidence. I don't believe so. And, you know, I, I'm... I, haven't been into him in a while, but I was very into Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, the founder of the Self-Realization Fellowship. And I would, I just am in love with that man and did a lot of his, read a lot of his teachings and stuff. And he was very into astrology to use, to support people on their spiritual journey. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, not a question, but it's okay. Uh, Wait for a new one. Oh, um, I will say that I was a bit inspired in that flute idea from the Silmarillion, actually. Um, do you know of it? Like, there's um, these gods are, like, all playing music. There's the head god, but all, all the sons are playing music together with him, this grand orchestra. But one of them, Melkor, the greatest of them all, actually, decides he wants to direct the music himself and make because innovate these new ways of doing it. And it starts all getting um, discordant because he's not working with the others. Mm -hmm. And then what's created from that is in our, the world of Arda, which is the world that they're creating with their music, a whole load of beasts and things that don't, are discordant and dark and negative, like the Balrog, for example, I think, are created from that. Um, the Balrog is that beast that Gandalf fights or something. And it's interesting because it's vibration that created, energetic vibration in a sense, music, creating the physical world. Isn't that like how it works? I think Tolkien's wiser than people thought. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. And, you know, you're making me remember that, you know, years ago I was in ministerial school and someone brought in a recording of um, crickets chirping. And there was a, you know, just a, someone had recorded 
a bunch of crickets just chirping, chirping, chirping. Somehow that I don't understand, but they slowed it down and slowed it down and slowed the sound down until you literally heard all they were singing together. It was like chords and it was harmonies. And we just heard chirp, 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 you know, crickets, whatever sound they make. But at, at their vibration of being, it was a chorus of music. And they played that. And I was like, that can't be crickets. How is that possible? That's beautiful. It's nature. It's Mother Earth. Yeah. So there is like this song. There is this music in back of it all. Imagine the new earth that's coming, which is more like renewed earth, maybe. We'll be part of that. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. I want to share a quick story, if I may, because I, the way I, I was shown it, uh, I was sexually abused as a child, and that had really haunted me through my high school years and college, and really an a large impetus for going down the path of addiction. And um, so as I was working on healing that trauma in my life, I had this profound experience through the practice of forgiveness, where I was shown inside of me, the, the whole story of abuse started replaying in my mind. And I closed my eyes and I was praying and I felt God, that's just what it felt like to me at that time, took me out of the story and said, see this how I see this. And all I saw was light dancing with light. That's it. It was that there was all that abuse was stripped away. There was no individuals. It was just light dancing. And I was told, that's all that's ever happening. Light dancing with light. And then that whole story of the abuse was put into this like ball and it was thrown out into the universe. And I was told it will never harm me again. And I will only remember it and use it for teaching purposes, which to this day is exactly my experience. I don't reference it. I don't feel it in my body. It feels completely forgiven. I hold nothing about it. And I reference it often to tell people, no, I saw, I saw what's really happening. It's light dancing with light. That's what's true. I, that's beautiful to me. Yeah. Um, do you have any insight to share about when to and when not to take, um, take, uh, what was it? Not, not, I was going to say hallucinogens, but that's not technically uh, plant medicine. Mm -hmm. Do I have insights when, when to, to and when not to take it? I'm, I'm just exploring that myself. Uh, you know, I went to uh, two years ago, I went to Costa Rica two and a half years ago in 2019. Is that right? Whatever. Um, and it was a real intense four nights in a row of doing that. In hindsight, it was a huge jump from, you know, diff, you know, not trying different things first to, to build up to that. I saw people there who were heroin addicts and it was the only way that they were finding relief was by through plant medicine. But then I was talking to this one guy and he go, I said, so how many times have you done this? And he was in the 500s. And my thought was, huh. <laughs> Is, is that another addiction? <laughs> like, is that just replacing one with another? I don't know. 
because that's not my experience. So I don't know. I just remember having that thought when he told me how many times he had done that. Um, and it made me pause because I've always like, okay, everything that I hear in my world is for me. So why did that come to me and for me? You know, and I, and I what I discerned was I wanted to plant medicine in service and only in service to my awakening and my well-being. That's the only purpose. I don't want to make it a recreational experience. I'm not looking to make it a way of life. Um, so that's my measuring tool. I'm looking at doing a mushrooms journey with a facilitator where it'll, it'll be a solo journey with someone supporting me on that with a very purposeful spiritual intention behind that. Um, so that's just how I do it. But I guess what it comes down to is, is it an intuitive thing or is it based in dense emotions? I know, I know for one, the time I took LSD, um, I uh, was doing it as a bypass method because spiritual bypassing, because I was kind of feeling an impatience because I wanted progress because I felt like, oh, there's suffering. I want, I want progress beyond this. And uh, I would say it backfired, but actually, no. I think that it was beneficial. It was just unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. My first time was so unpleasant. I, I, I don't have words. <laughs> it was so unpleasant. Um, but I'm okay. You know, it made me more nervous to do it again. That's for sure. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. So I guess actually when it comes to anything in life, like what, what's the vibration behind that? And the more we ask ourselves that, the more we can flow with existence. That is everything to me. What you just said, you know, back to talking about knowing yourself. What that really means is before any movement occurs, what is the energy from which it flows? Because the energy from which it flows is exactly what it will become, period, period. <laughs> if you pause and go, I'm going to speak these words and at the core, I'm angry and upset, you can sugarcoat those words, you can pretend, you can go, you know, I'm coming to you. Just, uh, I just want to help you out. You know, you could put all kinds of cake frosting on top of it, but a bomb is a bomb is a bomb. And when it blows up on you and you're going, I see so many people do this. They're like, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I just, I was trying to be helpful. And I'm like, oh, bullshit. Get real, get real. Deep inside, you had a judgment. You were upset, and that's the energy from which this whole thing unfolded. I always know that by how I feel and what occurs on the other end. That's where I do believe, like, if I'm having an interaction with you, Nicholas, and there's some upset, and I think I'm communicating from love, but you're getting more and more triggered, then I've got to look within and go, huh, I think I'm coming from love, but obviously the reflection is showing me something else that that takes something to be able to be in that kind of inquiry you know 
Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because my ego had to sort like, that's hypothetical, right? <laughs> and that's how cross it is. <laughs> <laughs> totally hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> the ego is so funny though. Like we get so caught up in seriousness, but when we reflect back on ourselves, we can actually laugh at ourselves because we're not in that super serious place anymore, I, I guess. I, I, I do feel like part of it, part of life is just relaxing. Part of awakening is relaxing. That's what yeah. I've come to because the eternal child of the creator um, is um, well, I suppose there's a childlike, joyful sort of play that's more natural than so-called adulthood or whatever people associate as adulthood on earth at the moment, which I'm not sure it really is maturity. <laughs> Good insight. Um, I really believe, and I don't live fully here yet, but I have friends that do. Um, I really believe our life and life itself for each one of us is inherently designed to fully take care of us. And we don't need to effort. It doesn't mean we don't share our gifts and talents. It doesn't mean we don't exchange, but we don't effort to make anything happen. I believe that is our natural state. And I have a friend, his name is T-Lock, Indian man who had a very profound spiritual awakening at six years old and um he was living in america and he did these healing things you'd lay on his massage table he would blow into your forehead and you would just poof, like light i've never experienced that before where literally you become a light explosion you see it you feel it it's the most unbelievable thing well my partner and i went and spent the weekend with him in las vegas where he was living and for four days for Labor Day weekend, Labor Day weekend in Las Vegas is like Disneyland. It's absolutely ridiculously crowded. This man walks. My point is, he walks in the effortlessness in life. And everywhere he goes, his needs are immediately met. He just has this unbounded faith and trust in life. And because he trusts life, that's how it shows up. And I mean, we were, one example, we pulled up to the Bellagio Hotel where there were 20 cars in front of us in the line and a valet comes running all the way back to our car and we all get out and he takes the car. And I said to T-Lock, do you know him? How did he goes? No, I don't know him. I just needed my car parked. And everywhere he goes, we walked into the restaurant. There was a waiting list. I swear to you, I saw this. He walks up and he says, I'd love a table for five. They go right away. And they get the table five. Now it looks like we're just like walking over everybody else, but we're not walking over everybody else. He operates from these higher laws that are effortless. Our meal was paid for. It sounds crazy to the human mind, but that's how much is available to us when we walk in that grace. I saw it. I was ben I was the beneficiary of it. I didn't pay for a thing. And it's the thing. He's not like. You correct me if I'm wrong, but he's not like um, 
thinking, oh, I want this, I want that, I want that. I'm going to get all this for me. No, like yeah. some people, they try the law of attraction or something. and they, But maybe because of where they're at, they, um, they might have issues getting what they want because what they want is selfish or they're doing it for their ego. And it seems like if you're not attached to it, you, it just comes to you. Completely. And most people are manifesting from a belief that they don't have enough or that it will fulfill them. And that's just a shadow. That's a shadow of the law of attraction that people are studying. And so we all have to pay attention to the shadow. He had no shadow and he never thought he was taking away from anybody because there was unlimited abundance. How can you take from anyone when there's infinite supply? How can you bypass anyone when everyone is creating their own reality? And that was something he said to me. I said, there's these people waiting in line. He said, they're waiting in line because they believe waiting is what they're supposed to do. That's why they're waiting. They're not waiting for any other reason. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. We're waiting in line for awakening for it to happen to us because we're like, oh, we'll be saved or something. Or like, it's supposed to happen this way, isn't it? Like, no, like. I, I do I do believe that like this ascension or whatever you call it, sure, like the more we wake up, the more other people can wake up. But like I don't think even our extraterrestrial allies or other allies would want us to look to them like saviors. No. No, because if they did, then they would not be one. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like that would be the very sign that they're not, if that was their desire. That's why I remember reading when Jesus was, you know, in the story, just in the story of walking to his crucifixion, people screaming and yelling and hating him. He didn't defend, he was completely defenseless. And it was in his defense, in his defenselessness, where he had access to all power because it wasn't real to him. Like there's this whole paradox and weird turnaround thing. It's like, oh yeah, if, if, if what's being screamed at you isn't even real or true, what is their defend to defend? If you know it's a lie, then you're fine. So That's you're defending, perfect. when you get defensive, you're, defense, you're defending the lies you tell yourself. Yeah, you're defending the belief that you're the body. You're defending, that's a lie. You're defending the belief that someone can harm you. And that's a lie. You're defending your identity in this world and the things you own that's a lie all the things we defend are things we're defending because we think they're who we are and what we are right so What do you recommend when the moment someone feels defensiveness um, come up? Such a good question. Such a good question. It's really very, very simple. The first thing you want to do is take a deep breath. Because the moment you defend, your breath immediately becomes shallow. 
the body tenses. So you can turn to the body and you can kind of unravel it backwards from there. What's the best way to do that? Breathe, breathe deeply because the fear, which is what's inside of, which is driving the defensiveness is shutting down the body, tensing the muscles, shortening the breath and preparing you for fight. So if you will just pause and breathe, if you let the body relax, the body will relax enough by the breath to where you'll be able to back up to the emotion. And then you'll be able to breathe into the emotion and go, ah, oh, this can loosen up, this can loosen up, this can loosen up. And then if you keep breathing, you'll back up to the thought where you can go, there's nothing to defend here. What's true? What's true here? Holy Spirit, help me to respond. Because if I defend, I repeat, defend, repeat, defend, repeat. I don't want to repeat. I want new life. I want new life. How do I cause new life here in a defensive pattern? Only the guidance of the Holy Spirit giving me new words, a new energy, a new vibration from which to respond. That's when it transforms. So the simple answer back again is the breath breathe deeply in the midst of it and learn to refrain. If you don't speak for 39 seconds, you will have a shift. You will have a new opportunity to create something new versus repeating a pattern of attack. Thank you. Thank you for the bringing that through. In the Impersonal Life by Joseph Bennett, which I'm reading at the moment, is a very good, well, I'm finding it very illuminating. It's channeling of God the Father, I think, but in a pantheist way. So in that book, the core, I think this line that's repeated many times in it, because it's the one of the key foundations of it, I suppose, is... Um, be still and know I am God. And while you're talking, this the stillness, and this image of, it's almost like a Buddhist idea of the Zen idea of like the stone that doesn't move while all the other stuff swirls around. But it also means don't, not, not being the doer, right? Whatever moves is like you being moved, not you moving thus be still or be the stillness but is there anything you'd like to unpack about that phrase as a whole be still and know i am god yes well i want to share with you a, a absolute again i just use my experiences to i mean i'm so blessed with with these awakening experiences I've been gifted with, and this one will speak to it exactly. Um, I was in India at a, an ashram kind of place and the monks were teaching and, and we would, they would often, we'd do some spiritual practice. Then we'd have a lecture by the monks around and very, very practical. They taught metaphysics in such a beautiful way. And then we'd go into experiences or meditations. And, you know, that was our 30 days. I was there for this particular time. And I, and, quickly early on, I started having a real live relationship with Jesus inside of me, very healing, very profound. But I was in one of these lectures 
And I heard in my head, start saying my name and don't stop. And I was like, oh, what the hell does that mean? I'm trying to pay attention here and learn. I felt like Jesus was being a bit of a nuisance. So I was like, all right, all right. So I, you know, I was trying to listen. Fortunately, very quickly, the, the monk said, it's time to go into our meditation practice. So I got up and I went way to the back of the room because I knew I had a different experience to move through. So I sat back there by myself and I closed my eyes and I heard it again. And it was like, just keep saying my name, say Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And so inside me, I just kept dropping it just nonstop, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Suddenly in my mind, swirling around me like a rodeo was all the names I was ever called, all the judgments. They were just attacking me, attacking me. And I heard, just say my name, sit in the, just say my name, just say my name. And it was more and more, it was almost like every name anyone called me, every false belief, it was swirling faster and faster and faster. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And suddenly, and all of them disappeared. And I sat in the center of such silence. It was like, and I would go, Jesus Christ. And it went, whoa, <laughs> it was like these ripples. Like it was apps. And I walked in that silence in that presence for a couple days. And what I know is, and the reason I tell you that story is that is be still, know your truth. And everything else will dissolve in that presence. That was an actual undeniable experience that I had of my only job was to be still and know. I also get a sense that the knowing is what comes from the stillness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's both and, right? It's like... Mm. The stillness, it's like, it's like a dance. It feels like a, the infinity symbol, if you will, where, where they dance beautifully together and they both grow because of each other. That's an eight. Yeah. Also, um, eight is the, the, death is the eight, eighth tarot card, which represents rebirth. Hmm. I didn't know that. So I have a sense that rebirth is the constant state if we allow it, maybe. Yeah, I think every day we have the opportunity to be new, to be made new with the awe of a child, you know, where, where everyone in your family and your, your friend, your close relationships, where you keep knowing them as their past and your patterns. Every day, imagine waking up and being in this, ah, oh, look who's here today. <laughs> and you have no conditioning that says that they're anything other than that beautiful soul. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Yeah. We don't I mean, do that for ourselves, right? You look in the mirror and what do you see? You don't see that beautiful, fresh, brand new day person that's appearing, right? You might see it in other people, but yourself, like, no, you're, you're your own harshest critic, or most of us are. Right. right. You know, even those people who we might think of a huge opinion of themselves, they might actually have this massive self-criticism going on. 
and they're just trying to cover it up by puffing the chest out. For sure, for sure. So everyone pretty much experiences that. Well, um, I don't know. Perhaps we've come as far as we're to come today. Yeah. They will say that we don't need to know what's coming next or what is like, what just is, because there's this idea that we know and other people's knowing might threaten us because no they've got it wrong they don't understand <laughs> yes but yeah i feel you're right i did have the thought as well perhaps we're coming to an end so um it's been fantastic thanks for coming on i have truly um i've truly enjoyed being with you and hanging out i i've enjoyed experiencing me <laughs> <laughs> in relationship to you and your questions i i, I think you have quite a uh, you have a, a, a your mind is being used in a beautiful way to to create questions that lead us to new places thank you although of course everyone has a beautiful way of serving that is only beginning to unfold or might not even be seen yet and um, yeah, the best thing about this awakening experience is by discovering that, perhaps. Anyway, so um, thanks for listening or viewing this episode. And uh, thanks to everyone involved, really. Uh, and uh, well, bye for now. Thank you, Nicholas.